1: Live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. The Bitcoin boom, the cryptocurrency surging over 20 percent in just the last month and now back in the trillionaires club. Should investors cheer or fear this roaring rally? Plus. Can't stop, won't stop. NVIDIA and Eli Lilly continue their unstoppable moves skyward. So how long can these names keep defying gravity? The chart master is standing by with some answers. And later, no parking allowed. We'll take you to a community in Arizona where Ubers, e-bikes, and your own two feet are the only way to get around. Is this part of a new play for the builders? Our Diana Olek will join us with the details. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feynman, Courtney Garcia, and Steve Grosso. We start off with a Bitcoin breakthrough, the cryptocurrency topping the 52,000 mark for the first time since December 2021. The coin has gained more than 20% just this month. And get this, Bitcoin's market cap is now back above $1 trillion. That's bigger than Berkshire Hathaway. If it were a company, it would be the seventh biggest in the United States. Take a look at some of the Bitcoin proxies, names like Coinbase, MicroStrategy, Marathon Digital, all up double digits today. The move's coming as inflows into the newly launched spot. Bitcoin. ETFs pick up steam. The fund's attracting almost $1.2 billion in investments last week. This, according to Fundstrat, and seeing prices soar alongside it. So can this rise continue? And what does this mean for risk appetite in the markets, Tim?
2: Uh, it, there's, there's high correlation there. Mm-hmm. And it also means that it's a little ironic because I think in the last week or so we've digested uh, inflation data dynamics around the Fed that say the Fed is higher for longer. Um, It's just it's a case where I think if you have less fed, this is one of the core tenets behind owning Bitcoin. In other words, it's about uh, having a a currency or a instrument or a security or we're not calling it that yet, um, that that actually is grounded in some kind of of, you know, backed. You know where you can actually not just print money forever. It's not a fiat currency. That's the reason I think a lot of people own Bitcoin. Obviously, there's a whole speculative fervor around it, uh, and I do think we're going to get through that 64000 level. I do wow. think it is indicative of where we are in markets. I look at the high multiple tech stocks that were soaring, the ones that were not making any money, the long-duration assets that are also soaring, a Spotify, uh, you know, who, whoever you want to look to that was in their heyday, and I think this is something. And, and then you look at the addressable market for for Bitcoin. In other words, who can it really be? Well, now it's been institutionalized. And I think that's part of this, but there's no question it goes back to risk in the Fed.
1: And it's it's amazing when you take a look at the run in not just Bitcoin, but a lot of the proxies that we had mentioned. I mean, it started months ago in anticipation of the approval of the spot Bitcoin ETF. And there was some thinking that maybe there would be some sell on the news sort of, you know, dampening of this rally. But here we are. We continue to go through. Well, there was
3: sell on the news, Some, yeah. right? That first few days yeah. it went from like 47 down to maybe 40, even maybe broke 40. But I think what you were saying is the Fed being disciplined would normally not be a good thing for Bitcoin. That's correct. Right. But it, it happened, it, it seems to be at the moment, it doesn't really matter. Remember, we have the halving mm-hmm. later, so the supply, uh, there's half as much supply coming on each year. Um, and I think it's just the the supply-demand dynamic of new ETFs that are raising a ton of money that need to be undergirded by actual Bitcoin, right? So there's that demand that didn't exist. There was the, everyone waiting for it. They weren't going to pre-buy it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So I, I think that's what's going on. Um, I don't know how else to explain. it. You're in it. I am yeah, in, it. in it. I know, which is hard to defend as a value person, but... Um, I've been in it for a long time. Yeah.
4: Yeah, um, we're not in it. This actually isn't something we look at for investors. But I do think a lot of this has to do with people getting into the ETFs because it is that supply chain that you're talking about, right? So behind the ETFs, they have to buy more Bitcoin, which then is causing a supply glut with it. What's interesting, is you point out, that this is now larger than Berkshire. There's the same time as I pointed out how Microsoft is now basically twice – the um, volume of the entire energy sector. So you're really just seeing that people are putting all of their money into what they perceive as the growth assets. Because if you're getting 5% on a money market for your safety, they're saying, well, if I'm going to be investing my money, I'm putting it into those high growth areas. So that's where you're seeing people's risk risk appetite is going right back up. And is that justified? I think that's the question, right? I mean, I think some of these riskier assets are getting um, close to that Irrational exuberance, I would say. Um, but I think that's exactly what's happening in the markets. People are rushing to those categories, and that's what you're seeing with Bitcoin.
5: So I think Karen said this. If you're an institution, I think you said it's been institutionalized. Is that the word you use? So if you're an institution and you have an ETF that you can now buy it, you're, I don't think you're allowed to buy it in the first week. So I think you have to wait. So it probably matches up with the amount of weeks that they had to wait. Uh, I'm long, I bet. And we were worried about Grayscale. What happened to Grayscale. It outperform. So you're not really seeing that money coming out of Grayscale going right into the ETFs. Grayscale seems like it's unto itself. It's a place where people are going to keep it. Tim touched on this. It's where people have their trading. So I don't, I don't have a Coinbase account. I could trade now Ibit in my regular account, which makes it a lot easier and a lot less risky for me. I don't want to have to worry about an account getting hacked, not to say that those those accounts are, are susceptible to being hacked, but... Any account can be hacked. I just feel I know these accounts. So now now I could be invested in them. I I sort of had to have a Texas hedge going on because I'm long Marathon Digital as well. (laughs) So Marathon Digital was up 14 percent today. Ibit was up 4 percent and change. So I'm long them both. I'm long them uh, enough to feel good about it, but not too much to lose sleep. You have the having. How many outstanding are we with Bitcoin? 19 million change, we only have to go to 21 million. So you have things that are really at the forefront this year, having happens every four years. So you have things that are at the forefront that give you a really bull- bullish setup going into spring.
1: Yeah, It wasn't too long ago when we were sort of doubting Coinbase or it looked like investors were doubting because of the percentage declines, even though the longer term chart was a pretty good one. And here we are, we're back into these sort of huge monster double-digit percent gains.
2: I. I he, I think the correlation is absolutely yeah. going to continue, and, and you, you know, we talk about addressable market. I mean, the whole point is is that there are more people now looking at digital assets, and I still think it's the on ramp. I still think it's a it's a case as these assets become more investable. Um, you know, look, people are rallying up Robinhood over the last couple of days, saying they now actually are getting some inflow from people from Fidelity accounts or Schwab or whatever. I mean, the same dynamic goes for just digital assets overall. And, and so, I know there was a laughable period where people were throwing money out the window in terms of uh, tokens and and various forms of crypto. But there's no question that you know, again, think of all the different markets where we talk about a growing addressable market. So back to back to Coinbase, I'm I'm long, and and I tell you what, it's going to be over 200 before. It's below 100, and I think it's going to get back to those old highs. Is there, uh, it's a question, I
3: don't know the answer, is it taking some of Gold's share, right? I was wondering, I mean, if all this money is flowing in, where is that money coming from, right? I I would think that it would, and so that's just an additional source of or
5: is it I, I, other tech? I don't know. It's, it's probably a little bit of both. They call it digital gold. So I have to believe that, that that's the reason. But I, I think that it was a rehash of CPI. I think people looked at CPI yesterday and said, oh, he, they're going to be raising. So that's what the steam came out of uh, Bitcoin yesterday. And now today they say, well, well, it's so levered to rents and rents have been spiking. So the Fed really follows PCE and PCE has been running at 1.9 percent. The Fed's target 2 percent. And that's why it rallied today
2: i think you have a case where if you if you believe that there are commercial real estate problems if you believe that there are issues yet to happen in the world and yet you believe that the worst of the fed is over Again, that's a backdrop for being defensive. A lot of people and the original kind of essence and the raison d'etre for Bitcoin were people that thought the world's coming to an end, so to speak, uh, in financial terms. And that was, you know, I think that's part of the reason why people will continue to buy it, especially in a world where we look at the U.S. deficit grow and grow.
1: Meantime, broader markets closing near their highs of the day with the S&P finishing back above the 5,000 mark. The Nasdaq leading the gains, though all three indices still lower for the week. Our next guest is doubling down on his call that we are in for a volatile first half of 2024. Wells Fargo Securities Head of Equity uh, Strategy Chris Harvey joins us now. Chris, great to have you. In terms of volatility in the first half, like a, a decline from here? Or volatility moving higher, because it seems like we're just going to new highs here.
6: I think volatility will spike up. I think what's going to happen is things are going to get a little bit, uh, we'll see a repricing of risk, right? So typically when we're coming out of a big micro period, you have earnings season, we're moving over to the macro. Yesterday, we got a taste of what happens when the macro takes over. That wasn't great. The other thing that we're we're talking about is that things are actually good on the macro side, which is going to keep the Fed at bay. If we roll the clock back 12 months ago, we say, "Okay, GDP is going to be better than expected. Stocks are going to be up 20, 25, 30 percent. Credit spreads are tightening to below 100 basis points. Uh, The consumer was at uh, consumer net worth is all time highs. right? And and the job situation was still good. Would we be saying, yeah, now is a great time to, to lower rates? We'd say no. In actuality, this is a time where you actually raise rates. That's not going to happen, but we think it's going to be, you're going to see the Fed being pushed back and pushed back and pushed back, and we're just going to see a repricing of risk at this point in time.
1: So in terms of that repricing of risk, I'm curious to whether or not NVIDIA's results is going to be sort of a key test for you as to whether or not that repricing will actually happen.
6: So I I think what's good for NVIDIA is good for NVIDIA, right? So NVIDIA is up 50% year-to-date, right? So... uh, Taking a, just shifting a little bit, we run or I run or oversee one of our model portfolios. That model portfolio is up or outperforming by about 200% or, or two, 2% year to date. We have 10% in cash. In a typical environment, that shouldn't work, that shouldn't occur. But what's good for NVIDIA, right, so NVIDIA is driving that performance. Nvidia will continue to drive that performance, but it's not driving the average stock higher, right? What we're seeing is rates go higher. That's way, way excuse me, that's way on the average stock, and, and Nvidia will do what it does, right? It's not, it's not an indication of the broader market.
1: But it's an indication of the Magnificent Seven, which has been driving the gains of the broader market. So. Which is the
6: broader market, right? Or, I mean, it is, is the market. It is, right? Or, or I should say the average stock, right? Uh-huh. If you look at small caps, you look at mid caps, you look at value, you look at equal weighted, it's flat to down this year, right? And that's being weighed on to a certain degree because guidance fundamentals are fine, but they're not great. Rates are going higher. So as long as you're a part of that Magnificent Seven, fantastic. If you're not, it's it's tough sledding.
3: So would you be saying that you should buy protection? I mean, we saw other than yesterday's spike in the yeah. VIX, which maybe I don't even know if the VIX is such a good uh, yeah. instrument to, to look at anymore, that at... It was down half, or more than or down almost what it was up right. yesterday. Are, are you saying you should buy protection there? It's cheap.
6: So what we're saying is we want to participate to the upside. And we want to protect to the downside. The way we're doing that is we're positioning the portfolio with communication. We want something garpy, something growthy. That's communication. Communication is working. We want to balance that out with something more defensive, something oversold. That's healthcare and to a lesser degree it's utilities. And we think that portfolio is the portfolio you want to go, you want to run going forward whether you're a bull or a bear. And year-to-date, we've been running this portfolio you know, for the last 12 months, and it's worked out very well. And I think in a, in a difficult tape, that's going to work as well. And year-to-date, to the upside, it's performed quite well.
4: Now, you, you just pointed out um, a few minutes ago here that, like, small caps in value, a lot of people coming into the year said, oh, the markets are going to broaden out. Yeah. That's where it's going to be. That has not come to fruition. Right. And I'm just curious, so when you're positioning a portfolio or if you're you know, recommending that to anybody, should they have an allocation there? How much there compared to the Mag 7? Like, yeah. how much do you want to, you know, is that some of a FOMO trade that's going to continue to rise or do you want to have money there still?
6: So it's our opinion that you shouldn't see a widening out. Right, that small caps are not going to work. What happened last year at the end of the year is, is what occurred is you had a lot of short, short covering. You had a lot of hedge funds shrinking up their book. That caused the dynamics to look like things were broadening out. Then year to date, you saw reverse. As the calendar turns, everything reverses. Right? The underlying fundamentals for small cap, they're not great. The macro, what you need for small caps to work is a really big run in the economy, really big upward revisions. You're not seeing that. The other thing you need is, you need to see credit spreads come down. Credit spreads are already tight. So, this environment's not great for that. This is an environment where there's a lack of growth. You're looking at two to two, two and a quarter percent GDP growth. And in that environment, you still want to stick with growthy stocks because of the scarcity of growth. All
1: right, Chris, great to see you. Thanks for coming by. Chris Harvey, Wells Argo
2: you agree with this uh, barbell approach? I, I like a lot of the things Chris is saying. I think utilities are oversold. I think they're extremely attractive. I think healthcare is interesting. And I think a barbell makes a lot of sense. And and I would also highlight that uh, it's what everybody's saying here. Equal weighted is down 30 basis points year to date coming into this. But I, I look back at an S&P that pre-COVID, so before we even knew that we could have all this accommodation and all this dynamic that, that really has changed the world. But S&P was at 3,300. And and so uh, if you think about where we are now, and there's still probably some COVID fluff in there, but ultimately what's been doing it? It's been the biggest stocks in the world, and, and I'm not sure what's gonna stop this. Um, And it's just a little bit of a reshuffling of the deck. Apple's making new fresh relative one year lows against the S&P. Nvidia is now bigger than Google. Microsoft's just off of relative all time highs to the S&P. So um, as a fund manager and whether you're an advisor or whether you're someone that's actually running equities um, and running, you know, long short U.S. or wherever you are, Getting underweight, those stocks, is very, very risky, and I don't see anybody doing it.
1: Yeah. Do you think NVIDIA reports and NVIDIA will do what NVIDIA does, or does it, is it some sort of referendum on a lot of the other AI-powered names that, that lead and drive the MAG-7 and the markets?
5: Yeah. So, so we've looked at NVIDIA, and we've, we've tried to pick the top, and we've failed right repeatedly. I, I think the point of the MAG-7, or whatever we're going to call it now, is a product of passive investing. So you, it just feeds onto itself. No one's buying the Russell. It's underperformed for too long. And I've stated that fact that over 40% of the Russell is actually unprofitable companies. And back in the mid-90s, that number was only 15% of the Russell was unprofitable. So it's too deep to take that stab, and you can't stay there for long. So you're forced into buying, do the passive investing, buying all of the MAG-7 and staying with market cap weighted stocks. So getting back to NVIDIA. It's it's a flip of the coin at this point. They still own 85 percent of the market. I still think they can chug along just fine.
1: We are seeing the cracks, though. I mean, Tesla has sort of dropped out. Right. Right. Apple, as you mentioned, a relative one year low against the S&P 500. It's not all rising at the same time anymore.
3: I there's do think, way. though, there is some amount, and I don't know what that is, of NVIDIA that is not passive, that is yes. very retail, very excited. This, you know, the buzz around this couldn't be greater. So idiosyncratic. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't know how big that is, but I do feel like there's a lot of, you know, expectation and buy the rumor, sell the news. It absolutely could happen. I do have IWM, though, uh, as well. That I mean, it was nice today, not so nice yesterday. I just feel like it has underperformed for way too
6: long.
2: Thematic growth, though, you know, kind of always has been and will continue to be. And so whether it's a lily uh, and, and or whether it's even what's going on in online sports betting or whether, you know, you're looking even at the digital and the crypto and the Bitcoin markets, I mean, that, that's where people are investing. And, and I think that's going to continue to not be weighted in fundamentals and valuation.
1: We've got a news alert on some 13F filings. Berkshire Hathaway making some more moves in HP Inc. and
7: Paramount. Leslie Picker's got the details. Less. Hey, Melissa. Yeah. First, I should tell you that Berkshire Hathaway, its mystery name is still a mystery. This quarter's filing still included that uh, notation showing confidential information has been omitted and filed separately with the SEC. So we continue to be in the dark, sadly, on what that is all about. However, the firm did make some moves in the fourth quarter. As you mentioned, Berkshire increasing its stake in Chevron by 14 percent to hold about 19 billion dollars worth of that company at the end of 23. However, Warren Buffett's firm slashed its ownership in HP Inc. by 78% to hold under $700 million worth as of the end of December. Berkshire Hathaway also reducing its ownership in Paramount Global by nearly a third to hold under $1 billion worth at the end of the year. And Berkshire sold 10 million shares of Apple it sounds like a lot, but that's just 1% of the firm's ownership worth roughly 174 billion dollars at year end. And of course, always a reminder that these for- these forms are snapshots from 6 weeks ago. They may change may have changed in the time since. Mel. All
1: right, Leslie, thanks. Leslie Picker. Uh Karen, what do you make of some of these moves?
3: Well, uh, now I really want to know what the mystery move is, of course, <laughs> right? Um Paramount I uh, Whatever is happening right now, talks or not, or who knows if anything gets resolved, they sold prior to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Not, not big changes. Nothing, nothing really jumps out of me. She said 10 million. You know, that's a tiny drop in the apple bucket, which has been quite an extraordinary bucket.
1: Coming up some after hours action as earnings season rolls on, shares of Cisco dropping after delivering results and numbers out of the quarter and how to trade the name next plus a ride share shakeup Uber jumping on news of its first buyback plan and after Lyft's post earnings pop is this trade worth the ride we'll discuss that when fast money returns.
8: This is
6: Fast Money with Melissa Lee right here on CNBC.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money and Earnings Alert on Cisco. Shares of the legacy tech stock down after posting weak guidance but the company reported a beat on the top and the bottom line. Christina Parts Nevelis got the latest. Christina.
9: Yeah, the call just finished. Cisco, though, resetting expectations for the second quarter in a row. CEO Chuck Robbins warning on the call. They have to cut investments and in costs because companies are generally more cautious with IT spending, especially Within cable and teleco providers, they are seeing weak demand there. Think uh, Verizon, AT&T. Customers are still working through elevated inventory levels as well, and that's taking a little longer than expected. And possibly a reflection of weaker time, Cisco plans to cut 5% of its global workforce. So that's roughly about 4,200 people in Q3. That will mean about $800 million in costs. The company, as you mentioned, Melissa, beat earnings expectations for the quarter. But keep in mind, the bar was already lowered last quarter. Its networking business did drop 12% year over year, but software sales increased. It now represents 50% of total revenue. The dividend also increased about 3% in the quarter. And it may not change the tides right now, but this quarter, Cisco announced a partnership with NVIDIA to deploy GPUs with Cisco Ethernet's using Cisco's global sales channel. So it'll go through them. And Chuck Robbins just saying on the call, too, that they are seeing about Uh, AI orders tripling, uh, and we should start to see that in their fiscal new year, which would be in September. The CEO, Chuck Robbins, will be on Mad Money tonight with more details about the caution in their guidance.
2: Christina, thank you.
1: Christina Parts uh Tim,
2: do you own Cisco? I do own some Cisco, and, and th- this definitely can fall under the category of value trap. I mean, this is a company that, that to me, in the last five years has been transitioning from hardware to software and into security and doing things that are high margin and very interesting and annuity-based, and they should be helping the multiple. And this is one of these names that over the last four or five years, if you listen to the street, there's a handful of analysts that have called this one of the great value, meg, you know, whatever, big big cap tech stocks. So um, when you hear the weak telco outlook and some of the dynamics that Chuck Robbins, who's very, very honest with the market, and I think sometimes there is a little bit of an overly conservative outlook, and um, it is what it is. This is two quarters in a row that these numbers are really disappointing in the, in the space of a world where people are spending on security, they are spending on software, and some of those offerings don't seem to be growing as fast as I'd like them to
4: yeah, and I think that's the question is, is it a value trap? Because I think the valuation is attractive here. I think they actually have a really strong balance sheet, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see more share buybacks or dividends from them or even more M&A activity. So I don't think this is going to be an instant gratification trade by any means, but I think as a longer-term investor holding a piece of this, I don't think it's a bad idea when you have days like this.
5: You know, when you look at it on a chart, last earnings cycle, the stock dipped, it was under, under a lot of pressure, and it rallied back, so it was off the bottom. It looked like it was going to be a value investment, but it sold off again leading up to this, so it's I thought it was going to be an actually a, a good entry point. And it's sort of interesting the way he talks about the pandemic and his customers and how they're working through supply chains. So I think they're getting to the bottom where it will be a value stock again. And I love the NVIDIA partnership. So I think I, I'm willing to give it a try. Not on a day like today. Let it let it breathe.
1: There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next.
6: Rideshare stocks putting the pedal to the metal as Uber and Lyft go for a joyride. With this trade picking up steam, is it time to get in? Plus, invincible investments. The chart master is laying out the trades on some seemingly unstoppable stocks. Can anything ruin these rallies? He's got the technical take. Next, you're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market side in Times Square. We're back right after this.
2: Picture this, you're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to
8: get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Uber, the best performer in the S&P 500 today after the ride sharing app announced a $7 billion buyback, the stock jumping 15 percent to set another record high at the close. This comes one day after Lyft's earnings when the stock initially soared nearly 70 percent before pairing gains after an error in the press release was clarified. Lyft shares still up 35 percent today. Not bad at all. But for Uber, I mean, this really means that they're confident about free cash flow and their prospects for prof- profitability.
4: Which is really important because I think a lot of people had been on the sidelines with Uber because they were unprofitable for so long. And it's interesting because this also comes right after a time when Meta announced their first dividend. And so you're seeing a lot of these, co- these growth companies are having to show other ways to um, give back to shareholders, whether it's going to be with buybacks, with dividends, um, because the question is how long can those con- companies continue to grow at these valuations? So I think it's actually a really strong move that you're seeing from Uber.
3: It's interesting, although mathematically it's not really in their favor to be out there buying back stock, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It's so expensive right. relative it's to. It's not accretive. No, it's still, right, dilutive. Now I'm sure they have share-based stock based compensation. They want to buy that Off- back, right, offset that. But it's not like, remember Apple in the old days, which I don't know, was 10 years ago, just every, I mean, that was just a, a money machine for earnings right. to buy back stock. So I, it's a little different.
1: We still don't know, though. I mean, they can you can initiate a buyback program and not really buy back yes. shares. Yes, so. absolutely.
2: <laughs> so this could all just That's be a, you know, point. a show. Excellent <laughs> point. I don't think this is the buyback. I think this is a halo effect from the industry dynamics that 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 Lyft, which is the Ellen Blysep, um actually. <laughs> had okay, let slip that <laughs> in. <laughs> no, but but forty-seven percent uh, supply of hours. Uh, Added year over year, drivers up 25 percent. Remember when the industry had all of these issues with constraints, just industry specific? Um, I think Uber trades higher is much off of Lyft. And as someone that's been long Lyft for a long time, um, you know, waiting for this kind of a turn is something that I, I think th- I think there's. I think there's one or two bags left on this thing. I think this if you look at where this stock is relative to Uber and the move, and by the way, Uber's up 95% in the last 75 sessions. It's essentially doubled since the end of October. Um, I realize their fundamentals have turned and their profitability and their free cash flow, but I, this is what you have to expect from Lyft.
1: So, I'll just, would you rather? Because I know you're going to self would you rather anyway. <laughs> you don't know that. You don't know that for <laughs> At this a fact. Point, I mean, we show the Ford PE. The data would the say. Boat. Yes. <laughs> the, right, exactly. Um, Uber's trading much more expensively on a Ford PE basis than Lyft. Right. Uber's got other businesses, delivery, um, transportation, they got international.
5: So which one would you buy? I would always go with Uber. I always thought the, the more levers to pull, the better. It, they outsize them. They dwarf lift by market cap. But I, but I do believe the spike that we saw on the stock was in large part by or because of the, the buyback. If you think about why does a company initiate a buyback, it's because they're confident going forward that they're going to earn a consistent amount of money. I think they they've figured out now how to get to the big boys' table. Mm-hmm. They're at the grown-ups' table now.
1: So you mentioned BLICEP trying to add LIFT <laughs> into your 2024 acronym when it's it was sneaky. actually part of your 2023 it, acronym.
2: It, yes, it was. But, so I was. but would
1: you really uh, want to do BUCEP and add oh, Uber in ooh. instead of BLICEP?
2: It's, it's a very interesting would-you-rather acronym <laughs> it's version. Mix of it's um, an, of an 80s character. And, and, uh, yeah. No, I, I, again, I, I think the you just said it. I look at the multiples here. I look at what... It, Every analyst that wrote a report about not everyone, I read a bunch of reports today on Lyft where they said, we're not sure we can sus- see this sustained. And that's really why I think the stock and the market kind of said, we think you can. But but I, you know, I look at the street. I still think <laughs> the street is very, very conservative on this. So um, bicep for sure. Look at that. Can we <laughs> that squeeze must, that, that must in? I mean, they're of, good at this that stuff. must be <laughs> a there.
1: Coming up, some stocks channeling their inner Freddie Mercury singing, Don't huh. Stop Me Now. The chart master's laying out some seemingly invincible investments, and if they are as untouchable as the momentum suggests. More on that next. And new developments in the Disney dogfight. Activist investor Nelson Pelt sounding off on CEO Bob Iger. What he had to say about the media giant's latest earnings report ahead. Don't go anywhere. More Fast Money into.
6: Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks staging a small rebound after yesterday's big sell-off. The Dow climbing 150 points, the S&P up nearly 1% and back above 5,000. The Nasdaq jumping 1.3%. And some after-hours action, Occidental reporting a top and bottom line beat, TripAdvisor jumping after also posting an EPS and revenues beat, and Twilio dropping 10% after issuing light revenue guidance, active customer count also coming in lower than expected. Meantime, though, the Magnificent Seven have been leading the market as of late. They're far from the only stocks on a tear. The Chartmaster is here to lay out what is next for two well-known winners and a couple of names you might not expect. Let's bring in Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, what'd you bring?
8: Yeah, so four stocks, uh, all of which have been just tremendous uh, performers over the past two years. Uh, Two consumer names, um, and we can start right here with a comparative chart. So remarkably, on a two-year basis, they are all almost identical. Lilly, call it up 200%, NVIDIA 200, Abercrombie, uh, an apparel stock, and then Decker's footwear, all up remarkably similar amounts versus an S&P, of course, on a two-year basis trailing is up 13. But let's look at them individually. One is really different than the others, and, and that's Abercrombie. This has, and you'll see there on this uh, long-term chart, this has had six or eight instances where it's dropped 75% or more, almost down to zero. And so this recent overshoot, it too will be corrected. It's not a, a long-term compounder. But the other three are, let's get to them. And so by contradistinction, if we look at the up and to the right, Decker's circumstance, it's been basically appreciating without sort of wild swings since the early 1990s. So, too, of course, for NVIDIA, which has not been around as long, but it is also, uh, since 99, um, uh, up and to the right. And then finally, of course, the flavor of the day, Lily, which is all the rage, and it, too, Uh, with some drawdowns, but unlike Abercrombie, has over time um, delivered results. Uh, And so these have been great winners over a two-year basis, which we can see, but long-term winners, except for Abercrombie. But I thought, uh, since we were talking about things that are so good, we should maybe compare to the one godlike stock, because Lilly is all the rage here. But uh, we might have a table, and this is a very sobering reality, not only for Lilly, but for almost everybody else. If you go back to 1985, um, look at the compounding effect. The S&P 10,000, you've got 292 grand. 10,000 in Lilly, you have a million six. That's about five x the S&P. And United Healthcare, you have almost 25 billion, making Lilly a small little speck staring down from the Empire State Building. Uh, it's just not the same thing at all. United Healthcare, godlike, unlike all others.
1: So in the in the ranking of godlike or or unstoppable stocks, United Health is perched on top. But is United so? so, But for for Nvidia and Eli Lilly, do they still have momentum to the upside? They still look like good charts.
8: They do. They're up and to the right, and they're not extended or parabolic. Whereas Abercrombie is literally um, parabolic.
1: Right. And United, by the way, is in Carter's acronym. It is for 2024. Correct, Carter?
8: That's right. Yeah, it is. You didn't even plugged. bring it up. <laughs> you
1: didn't even plug for I know. That's <laughs> so why gotta, I plugged for you gotta him.
8: You got to plug here. You got to plug. plug your, uh, plug your look stuff. at you, yep. nice
1: Carter. Thank you, Carter Braxton Worth. <laughs> so, a United Health or an Eli Lilly or an Nvidia. I mean, in terms of the most godlike for the longest amount of time, or maybe newer gods on the <laughs> on the move <mood> now.
4: <laughs> Yeah, I, I would actually look at the healthcare space as opposed to a Nvidia. You still absolutely want to own a Nvidia here, but I think the question is how much that excitement has already been priced in. That bar is getting raised higher and higher. Um, and I, I really like a lot of the healthcare names, even with A. Lilly that is very expensive. Their pipelines look really strong as opposed to a lot of their competitors who have patent cliffs coming in. That um, I would absolutely look at those. And um, it's definitely something you need to take a look at for twenty twenty four.
2: United Healthcare has acted like a growth stock. It's one of the reasons why it gets the multiple it does. I mean, I, I you know I was also though waiting for Carter to say these are so good they're bad because um, right. <laughs> we get the so bad they're good. Um, and and I think at some point that you know that's what he certainly described. You could get at Abercrombie, which is astounding. The move this this you know six billion dollar, which still has six billion dollar market cap, but it's still got fourteen percent short interest, which tells you kind of what's been going on here. Um, United Healthcare is a name I'm long and a name I very comfortable staying long.
1: Decker seems a little surprising. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> put a little it in surprised. That sort
3: of category. <laughs> Although remember last year, Abercrombie outperformed Nvidia. It was right. up more, which is that's kind of astounding. You would think, oh maybe that's a pairs trade. You could put on now that Nvidia will regain its momentum <laughs> and outperform and be short Abercrombie. How about a would you rather?
2: <laughs> you know, you know, in terms of apparel or what what you would wear. I mean, so no. now he's asking
3: Uggs. someone else, not what even a self. <laughs> like, what,
2: what would you wear? Well, <laughs> what are you asking? Yeah. Well, Abercrombie I mean, or Abercrombie. Abercrombie's, Uggs? Don't, don't they have their own line of, I mean, it's a store, right? It's apparel. I mean, so, so <laughs> Uggs versus a Abercrombie. Oh, oh, for, oh, okay. Was this that complicated? I mean, I thought it was pretty straightforward. Maybe you just shouldn't have spoken. Best up. show on TV. I'm going to shut up right now. Best show on TV. That's in why my show. opinion. Can we go to a commercial?
1: Yes, coming up. The gloves are off in the battle for Disney's boardroom. What Nelson Peltz had to say about Bob Iger. In a fiery interview today that's next plus lyft and lennar uh, teaming up for an interesting experiment building a car-free community in arizona will take you inside the neighborhood that could become a blueprint for the future and during february we are celebrating black heritage here's the president of united airlines
6: there is always this sense that you are not complete and your journey is not complete unless you are also giving back and you are helping others accomplish their, their goals in life and that you are making sure that you keep a connection with the community. Um, that is one of the things that I treasure most um, about my journey and that I treasure most
8: about our heritage.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. The gloves are off in the battle between activist investor Nelson Peltz and Disney CEO Bob Iger. Peltz going in hard on the executive interview with Sarah Eisen earlier today. Here's a taste of that conversation.
0: I'm thrilled if the CEOs of the companies we invest in make a ton of money. We want them to be the highest paid executives in their industry. But only if we, the shareholders, the great unwashed are making money along with them. These two things have gone in different directions. Compensation up, shareholder value down. That doesn't work for me.
1: Peltz also saying that Disney's latest string of announcements, including its sports media partnership with Fox and Warner Brothers and its stake in Epic Games, are too little, too late.
0: You know, these are just a lot of empty promises. These are election day comments, okay? And Bob is, is making, is talking like he just got into office a week ago. This is a management team that's been there for 20 years.
1: The incendiary comments, not enough to put a dent in Disney's fantastic start to the year, now at more than 23% already. Tim, do you agree with him?
2: I, the, the cop issues are, are pretty startling mm-hmm. and, and I think there's sometimes a presumption that high profile folks should get paid a lot of money and you know this has been going on at GM too and, and there's a lot of people that have been horrified, and the stock performance has been uh, almost as bad as Disney's. So, um, Disney's last round of numbers, uh, I think, tell you that Bob Iger, though, is got a bunch of things going on that are at least catalysts and adding value, and on top of their own year of efficiency. And in some sense, that we can see where streaming's going. So, as someone that's been very frustrated with Disney myself, a little different than Mr. Peltz, um, I do like where Disney's going here. I do like the, the profitability dynamics. I'd like the fact that the company's generating free cash flow. And I think that their core company is very cheap here.
1: Yeah. You mentioned a bunch of things. Peltz calls it a spaghetti against the wall plan. He puts it in quote plan in that letter to investors.
4: And I think his point, too, is saying that this is all coming really because he knows that that they're trying to get on the board right now. And I think the the argument is, does it matter where these ideas are coming from or why the timing is now? I mean, ultimately, Disney is coming with a lot of additional ideas to increase their revenue and increase their profits. So, uh, I think doesn't matter. I mean, ultimately, it's going to be good for the stock, and I think that's what's getting priced in here.
1: But, I mean, the sports partnership, that was sort of puzzling. I mean, I think that there are many questions. Yep. There are yes, a lot of questions yes. in the analyst community, just why Disney would do this. But it never how happens. Creative. Yeah. Oh, you think it never <laughs> well, happens? I kind I of seemed, agree. It, it yeah, seems yeah.
2: kind of like it hasn't difficult. been totally thought out. Yeah. Yeah. And we, Dif- yeah, very difficult, difficult to difficult. get it's three companies. Happen.
1: Calculate, like, how the yeah, revenue We talked about the, reven-
2: the ownership
3: and the revenue. Something interesting, though, I think that Iger's last quarter may have been enough to... Change the vote if Mm -hmm. if Nelson Peltz were gonna win. I do also wonder, didn't he sell stock at one twenty last year? Remember he was in. Yeah. They were gonna have the fight, and then he said, No, he's doing the right thing. I'm not doing the fight anymore. Right. And then I think he sold some stock at one twenty. Does he have a very different view of what it's worth now? Because if one twenty was a sale last year, I don't know where where would be a sale this year. We're not that far from that. I think I think the tide has really changed a fair amount in this proxy fight.
5: I agree with Nelson. I mean, this is if you look back at it at the end of October, Disney stock was at the pandemic low. So it was just a handful of months. we were all saying the same thing. He came out loaded for bear. He had to do this. That whole board is is up for for a nomination or a reelection. So he had to do something to keep Nelson at bay. He did enough judging by the stock performance as you let in and let in with it. But let's just look at it in another couple of weeks slash months mm-hmm. and see where we're at. Because I think Nelson, Nelson ultimately will be the winner of this.
1: Yeah. So, Tim, in terms of your position at Disney, has it changed at all um over the past.
2: I've, I've probably nibbled somewhere yeah. a couple of years ago when it was flatlining and you could have traded the stock if you were uh, you know, looking at these 20 to 30 percent ranges you've had in the stock, certainly from 80 to 90. You've had a bunch of those ranges. It's not bad, but uh, I, I've been a long term believer. This is one of those stories that I think you should be in uh, stocks now up 42 percent from those lows.
1: Coming up, America's first carless city. One community in Arizona is getting rid of parking spots, garages, even streets. We'll take you inside the neighborhood backed by Lyft, Lennar and others. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Is the future car free? That's what one development in Arizona is setting out to prove. The new community in Tempe is completely carless and its developers are betting that more walkable social neighborhoods are what people want. CBC's Diana Olick is on site with all the details. Diana.
10: Well, Melissa, this new $170 million rental community has all the amenities. It's got your fitness center, your dog park, your outdoor kitchens. What it does not have is cars. Cul-de-sac is the first community in the U.S. designed specifically for car-free living. Co-founder Ryan Johnson says it is what Americans want.
5: In the U.S., we've been building the wrong kind of housing for a hundred years. We've built sprawl, and it's created car dependency, and it's made us lonelier, less healthy, and less happy. And what people want is to live in walkable neighborhoods.
10: Retail, restaurants, and close to 200 apartments in the first phase. No cars means no parking spaces, no garages. The complex is strategically located right next to the area light rail system. All residents get a free pass. The first 200 also get a free electric e-bike, and a partnership with Lyft gets them discount rides. Now, those are partners. Investors in cul-de-sac's $30 million Series A include Lennar, of course, one of the nation's largest home builders, Coastal Ventures, and Founders Funds. Now, walk Walkable, walkable neighborhoods are all well and good when the weather is fine like it is now. But temperatures here in the summer can sit above 100 degrees for weeks at a time. And that will be the real test, Melissa, to see if Carlos living can really go the distance.
1: So we've been having this debate all day, Diana, since this is in Tempe, Arizona, and it is hot there that, you know, when it is hot in the summertime how far do you actually have to walk to get to that lift because there are modes of transportation but if there are no streets in front of your apartment building you've got to walk there and it's going to be burning hot
10: Yeah, no, I asked that question and the CEO told me, he said that the buildings are actually designed and tilted and lean a little bit toward each other. They're very close to each other, which makes all the walkways through the community completely shaded. Now, that's not going to help when it's 120 degrees outside, right? You don't have to actually walk that far to get to the edge of the community where you can get your lift and the right light rail is across the street. But again, it's going to be tougher when it's hot. Right now, everybody's outside enjoying themselves. It's 70 degrees and lovely. Um, That, I think, is going to be one of the tough ones for this to overcome. Also, I think families might have a hard time here because we all know that we're always driving
1: our kids everywhere. With a lot of stuff that you don't want to schlep to the edge of the community. (laughs) Think about the car seats and, you know, all these other things. Um, So all the buildings are tilted. That doesn't sound dangerous or anything. I mean, well, sure. not tilted. It it's, sounds it's, it's very actually
8: odd. the
10: way I don't want to say they're not tilted. They're angled that I should have used <laughs> the word angled in a certain way. And they're very close together. So it almost feels right. kind of European, like there are these very narrow hmm. walkways
1: and it's really shady inside. All right, All right. We'll take your word for it. We'll see if it works. Diana. Thank you. Diana Olick. <laughs> Did she say if it was full?
5: you looking for oh. a place? <laughs> <laughs> I said, no,
3: no, no I was just... It's still, so, you know... Oh, they're still in
2: the... In the, in the yeah.
3: Oh, okay, well, we'll leasing see. up,
2: okay. I, I live in, in a walkable social Me too. neighborhood. It's called, <laughs> it's New, York called New York City. It's called New York City. I
6: was so gonna say, I, you know, I don't
1: good. have a car. I'm good. It works fine. Up next, Final Trades. It's time for the Final Trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim...
2: Happy Valentine's Day. Uh, And there's been a lot of love for Tencent Music, TME, breaking out the Spotify of China.
3: Karen. Yes. So retail, hopefully a little bit better at the end of the year. We'll see TJX in about two weeks. Long TJX. Courtney.
4: Um, Occidental Petroleum just reported here. I do think you want to make sure you have energy in your portfolio. Take a look at this.
5: Steve. Marathon Digital. Remember, it's the beta for Bitcoin, but it bites both ways, up and down.
1: Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash fast money Disclaimer.
9: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery,